condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network. The world for people who think... Hi, and welcome to Behind the Headlines on SOC Radio Network. I'm Neil Bradley. My co-host is Joe Quinn. Hello there. Elan Martin. Hi, everyone. He is there, okay, and Harrison Keeley. Hello. Okay, so we're going to open our show this week. Looking back at last week's news, the big event, or one big event in the U.S. was yet another school shooting in Parkland, Florida. That's outside Boca Raton in South Florida. 17 people dead, teachers and school kids. Uh, I don't know. I mean, when it first happened, I thought, okay, well, whatever. I mean, at this point, it's such a frequent occurrence of, in to some extent or another in the U.S. Uh, obviously, it doesn't happen so bad all the time that you get 17 dead. This is certainly the worst in a school since Sandy Hook, although there have been many other school shootings in the interim. But in terms of casualties and scale, yada, yada, this this is the worst in six years. So, um, oh yeah, so as I was saying, I initially just thought, okay, whatever. Oh, what, they caught the guy? Okay. He's confessed in addition. That's perfect. That just wrapped it up because it saves me having to, you know, start to dig into it and find out what was really going on and following the wave, the tsunami of BS that starts to emanate both from official authorities and of course online on YouTube with a lot of crazies coming up with their it's all actors nonsense. Is anybody doing that? Oh yeah. Not so much, not yet. There's a lag. We noticed that in the last one after Vegas. After There's a week of kind of genuine questioning about the event, and then it'll just devolve into... Well, I think this one's different in the sense that there's no video of, of the event, you know? Whereas in other ones, there was like uh, videos of... There's a lot more video evidence, I think, of... There's very little video evidence of this. It's been quite simple compared to other ones. Video evidence, you mean of, of the inside the school or? Inside the school or events or people, eyewitnesses talking, that kind of thing. It doesn't seem to have generated an awful lot of, as much, I suppose that's a result of it just being so commonplace these days, you know, as well, you know, that the media aren't even paying that much attention to this kind of stuff as they used to. Yeah. Eventually they get bored of, not bored of it, but they get just, you know, it becomes commonplace almost, you know. Yeah, so Sandy Hook would have been a lot more shocking because yeah, it was the first of its magnitude. And yeah. I think in that case there you had a, they were younger kids, weren't they? Six-year-olds mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. They weren't, I mean, they were, this was a high school, but um, I think this building was mainly with freshmen. So what age group is that? 14, 15 in the U.S.? Um Anyway, yeah. so yeah, there were teenagers. 15 as opposed to 17, 
if if it included okay. seniors and juniors. Okay. I don't believe I don't believe it did. I think this this one building where it all took place was um, just freshmen, so first year in high school. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean it's, it's in the media narrative. It's a rap, you know. They caught the guy. It just does it a bit different. Unlike say Adam Lanza, who's found dead, and you know, dead men tell no tales. Here they've caught someone, and from the get-go, he's the suspect, and he's confessed. He's been arraigned. He's, there's video footage of him for the judge. Yes, ma'am, plead guilty. Okay, well, open and shut. So it's a nice, tight media narrative on a horrific story, of course, but... Um, that was all she wrote for me until I saw first one and then the second. Um, statement given to the press by two students who were there. Uh, you've probably seen the one by the blonde girl. That's Alexa Miednik, who she spoke to a reporter from Houston who happened to be there for some other event, and then he just accidentally found himself covering the shooting. <clears throat> so Channel... K-H-O-U, the reporter asked a question and he was surprised by her answer and then he gave a kind of a pre-report that evening where he described to the anchor back in Houston about this weird interview he'd had with this girl, Alexa. But then the station never actually aired her statement. So nevertheless, he tweeted it after himself on his own channel and has since been propagated um, can we play what she had to say? Yes, we'll do it right now. They're all in shock. Let me just tell you this. We just spoke with a former student, Aletza Medick. She actually walked down the hall with the accused shooter, Nicholas Cruz, after she heard shots fired. She said, hey, Nicholas, this is what she told me on camera. We will have it for a 10 o'clock show. She said, hey. I just heard shots fired. I'm surprised it wasn't you. Just kidding like that. He had this reaction. What? And then they parted ways. She said, I heard more shots after that. She thinks there was a second shooter. As we were walking the whole class together, I actually was speaking to the suspect, Nicholas Cruz. And as I was speaking to him, he seemed very... I don't, I don't know what the word I want to say is, but... Um, he was trouble in middle school, so I kind of joked to him about it and said, I'm surprised you weren't the one who did it. And he just gave me a huh. So there was obviously definitely another shooter involved. but. Oh, you think he was not the only one? No, definitely not. Why do you say that? Um, because when shots were fired, I saw him after the fact. So... And the shots were coming from the other part of the building. So there definitely had to be two shooters involved. Definitely. I mean, she, she, she can't... She, she can't but, but say that because she's filing out of the building with this guy, Cruz, having a conversation with him, and then there's gunshots. That's, that's not what she said, though. Oh, what did she say? She said, if you listen to what she said, she said, I mean, 
I don't know if you want to make any comments about, you know, her possible level of spatial awareness and attention to details and stuff, but what she said just there was that um, that she she seemed to be suggesting that because she saw him uh, filing out and she was with them and she was surprised, she would think, I, I, I was surprised it wasn't you. And he, he said, well, whatever. Um, she seemed to assume that that meant that he wasn't the shooter. But then she doesn't actually say, she says, the, th- the reason is that I saw him after the fact. Mm-hmm. Which means that she saw him after she heard the shots. She saw him after the fact of the shooting happening. So, of course, she would see him after the, shoot, uh, the fact of the shooting happening. And then she, she doesn't say that at that time she heard shots coming from the other side of the building. She said, and also because the shots were coming from the other side of the building. So it seems to be that in her mind, it's because the, the, when she saw him filing out of the building, she had, she had heard shots previously happening and they were coming from the other side of the building. Therefore, it was, in her mind, it was unlikely that it was going to be, that it was him, that he could have done that on his own. But nothing that she says in that states that she heard shots while she was talking to him. Yeah. Well, yeah, do we didn't, have... She didn't describe it well. Do but, we well, that's the problem. Of the, the second uh, witness? Well, this is another girl who's who says definitely to the three shooters. Right. It's, it's shorter. Now, it's a, from a longer one, you can find... If you can't find it, because I, I don't have her name. Her name wasn't cited because this, the video of her being interviewed on the street, it, um, a smaller, uh, dark-haired girl, Latina thing, the video of her being interviewed has a some local channel's microphone stuck in her face, but that channel never aired it. The only reason we see it is because someone, a, a bystander was standing behind her taking by the camera phone. So anyway, that means that we don't have her name and who exactly she is. Anyway, she's rapidly describing in about two minutes what she saw, and then we, we've taken some portions of what she saw in this short description. Okay, we'll play that one now too. All the kids to go outside so they can start shooting up. So they shot, they start shooting um, from the first floor up because there's only two exits in the freshman building. So everybody started running to the other exits, but that's when the shooter, the other shooter started coming up. Do you think there was more than one There's shooter? three shooters, right? Definitely. He was legit. He just ran up the stairs, started shooting, and you could see a bunch of kids just going down that way, but stopping. But because the other shooter was coming. Okay, so that's it. It's very brief. But you do hear in the first little portion of it, she, she says there were three shooters, definitely. Um... And in the longer description, she's describing how there's basically how there's two stairwells, one two main stairwells, one at each end of the building, and the confusion of kids running one way they think to get away from the gunfire, but stopping and turning around because it's coming from another source. At least that's what's conveyed by what she says. Um, maybe she doesn't remember it right, or she's confused. Um, I don't know of any other statements by students about multiple shooters. Um, but uh, there was well, there were a number of other reports that are odd. It seems a lot of attention was on the school in the weeks running up to this. Um, they, had, they had drills 
And apparently some people arrived claiming one student was told by his teacher that all the teachers had been gathered at one point some weeks back, about four weeks ago, to undergo training with people presenting themselves as the Secret Service. That's extremely unlikely. Why would the Secret Service do that? But some, the, the claim is that somebody anyway came and they changed security protocols. Um, this was a senior in the school, Jalen Martin, describing this as relayed to him by a teacher who was at these meetings. So that's secondhand stuff. But in addition then, there are many statements from teachers and other students that there were a lot of drills going on in recent weeks. One student specifically said that they've been told that in the coming week, i.e. sometime 10 days or a week ago, that they could expect an active shooter drill. Um, in fact, I have several statements from students saying that. Um, Kelsey Friend told CNN, I thought, I don't know if this is real or fake. We had rumors going around the school that police would do a fake code red with fake guns, but sounding real. I thought at the beginning that, that this was a drill until I saw my teacher down the floor. Um, <clears throat> another student, Will Gilroy, He said that students had been told there would be an active shooter drill yeah, at their school this week. And that's why apparently it's not just this Kelsey girl. So many of them thought initially that they were participating in a drill even as they were being evacuated. So there's something, there's something really off about that. I mean, how often do you have active shooter drills in schools across the the United States probably quite a lot yeah. in which in which armed men will come in and fire blanks yeah well that's the God, I'd love to see the stats on that I mean that's, that's the climate that's, that's the climate ring you know not the climate uh, the US is in anyway yeah like we've had several articles on site about the, the the active shooter drills and just how crazy they are and you know, well, how traumatizing they are because they right. they've even shown you know camera footage of you know the cops storming in rooms and like kids screaming and stuff and mm -hmm. and um, you know with their guns out and everything. And it's not like, I mean, when I was in junior high and high school in Canada, we'd do fire drills. We of course never had any active shooter drills. That was kind of a you know that's kind of a new thing I think. But even then, you know, when you do it, it's like it's. Even when we do those, it would be totally laid back. And I assume at that time, if if you know our schools were to do active shooter drills, they would have been um, pretty much the same, like uh, just like a really half-hearted, you know, theater where okay, guys, now that you know we've got a you know a bad person coming in, so everyone file out, and you know, it, like there wouldn't be so much of the dramatics to it. Mm -hmm. they, they try to make these things as real as possible these days. Now, I, you know, I don't have the stats. I don't know how often they do them, but I wouldn't be, I, you know, I wouldn't be, I'm not shocked that the, that there were rumors of an active shooter drill and that, that there would have been an active shooter drill. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I watched some interviews with some of the kids at this school saying, um, one of the reasons they didn't think it was a drill, these other kids was because they'd already had a fire drill that day. So they'd had, they had a fire drill. And then they heard the alarm the second time, and they said, "Oh, and we never have two fire drills on the same day." 
So that you know they're familiar enough with the fire drills that it wasn't you know it wasn't really out of anything out of the ordinary to have a fire drill. Sure, but that happens once a month on time. It's expected they know it. An active shooter drill? What on a weekly basis? Well, no, and not like, on a weekly basis. But they you know all they did was they heard rumors that, it, that one was going to happen, right? So, and and was it on that day? Like, was there con- was it confirmed that they had an active shooter drill on that day? No, right. Not that I know of. But there are statements from students saying that um, there were rumors that they would have one this week. Hmm. Yeah, and so, well, so I guess we just have to do the statistics and then to figure out the odds of that. But, uh, uh, you know. Florida Senator on the day, I mean, within minutes or hours or whatever, soon after the event, tweeted, no, he didn't, he told CNN live, that the shooter wore a gas mask and he had smoke grenades, and that he set off the fire alarm so the kids would come pouring out of the classrooms and into the hall. And I think one, I think there's one student statement that that was the case, that there were small explosions happening as well. So our guy has got to go in, he's gas mask, he's got an AR, he's got ammo, smoke grenades, I don't know of any other apparel, and he's, he triggers the, alar- the fire alarm by setting off smoke grenades. Then he opens fire at kids coming out of classrooms, except the principal is supposed to have come on as soon as the alarm went and said that this is a code red, and the students had been conditioned. They knew what a code red was. It meant you stayed in the classroom. You didn't follow the regular drill. Um, the the small Latina girl in their longer description, she describes how they were staying in the classroom and that people, people, the gunman was banging on the door and, she, and yelling at them to tempt them to come out. So uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that the suspect Cruz setting off the smoke alarms knows that he's going to get people running at him in all directions because they think it's a fire drill because it's so confusing because they they have already been conditioned they've been taught they they know what code red means well they also know what a fire alarm means which is leave the leave the leave the building yeah but the other thing is how likely is he at any point uh during this entire event to have you know uh, kind of uh, calmed himself down enough to calmly walk out with uh, this Alexa uh, eyewitness, even after he he had done all that. Uh, you know, it 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 seems as though he was just kind of placed at the scene of the crime. Yeah, I don't know. I think it was pretty likely. Yeah, why not? What would you do, Alan? Well, <clears throat> I, <laughs> I mean. You know, it, it just doesn't make sense to me that he would, well, he uh, or that he could, that he'd be capable of of that level of control. Uh, that you know, he would just quietly slip out at any point after after doing so many things. Um, that's it, what that's what uh, Sirhan Sirhan. That's what killers are like. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. I mean, it didn't really strike me as odd at all. I mean, you, okay, put yourself in the mind of a. Uh, 
okay, the typical mass shooter. Now, if you've read uh, Gavin De Becker's uh, Gift of Fear, he talks about his interactions with school shooters, and he's had several of them. And he describes them and how, um, like, he, I can't remember which which kid he's describing. He doesn't like naming them because he thinks, well, he knows that a lot of these kids, um, you know, like Jordan Peterson describes, you know, they're full of resentment and hate, and they just want to destroy everything. And they, you mm. know, they think that's their solution to the to their problems and the world's <clears throat> problems is just to to blot it out and kill it. And they actually, like there's a typical profile for these guys. They're usually obsessed with school shootings. Like they research them. They, they idolize these previous school shooters and they want to, they want to one up the previous guys. It's like a video game mm. for them almost mm-hmm. like they mm. want to be, they want to be the guy on TV that's killed the most people in a school shooting. Right. And you know, th- and they're perfectly fine with that. That's their, that's their, um, their fantasy in life is to kill a whole bunch of people. Right. And, yeah. and when you, Put, put them in a situation like this. They've got a plan, right? They want to carry out their plan. This guy's plan was to go in, well, presumably, go in, kill a bunch of people, and then he's going to make his exit. Okay, so I'm going to kill a bunch of people. You know, he, he's using, like, uh, um, you know, weapons. He's firing guns. He's not going to get blood on his hands necessarily. He's not going to, you know, be mm-hmm. dirty or anything. He just, so he takes off whatever gear he had on, blends in with the crowd to leave. I mean, that's the, it's pretty much what, most criminals who have a plan try to do. They want to plan their getaway, right? And so mm-hmm. they blend in, and it sounds like it worked, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but do we do we know all of those things about uh, Cruz? Do we know, for instance, that he was obsessed with uh, shootings as, as, say, some of those other shooters that Gavin DeBecker makes mention in his books? I don't think we have that information about him. Well, so far well, we've we got yeah. allegedly <laughs> saying he, he was going to be a, a professional school shooter o- online. Mm. He's made, he made several threats oh, online. Yes, he did say that. You know, yeah, the, uh, the, the FBI got in trouble because someone had ID or guessed it was him, Nick Cruz, or some kind of maybe um, some some name he gave himself online. But they they had identified it as probably him and reported it to police and or the FBI, and they acknowledged that they had received this information. But then they gave a statement when they were asked about it afterwards, and they said that uh, the agency couldn't ID the person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's kind of that's usual, typical for the FBI like type thing. But um, they're pretty useless uh, at a lot of things. But they, um, I don't, I don't, I don't buy the uh, the resentment thing in this case. So, you know, seething with resentment and anger and wanting to. That you mentioned, Harrison and mm-hmm. Peterson, you know, because <clears throat> um, there's a good book uh, that we, a few of us read recently called um, Inside the Criminal Mind by uh, Stanton Samenow, or Samenow, and uh, in the book he details, he basically explores and exposes how criminals actually think and and what you take away from it basically is that people who have this criminal mind they're, they're not necessarily um filled with resentment or anger but rather it's more a sense of uh, entitlement an inflated sense of an inflated image of themselves a sense of grandiosity that they are entitled they're special they're smarter better more handsome more charming whatever than everybody else and they're entitled so it's a fundamental 
innate sense of entitlement these people have. Um, and they can combine that, I suppose, with some level of, of resentment, uh, you know, but only in service to, to them doing uh, uh, what they want to do and getting it for free, getting an easy life, getting, getting things for free, um, not having to follow the same rules or laws as ordinary people because they're better than them. And if they need to bring up some resentment, they'll easily cite you, you know, details of, of how they had it hard. They'll use all sorts of different techniques, but they're not necessarily seething with anger and resentment. They're not like the typical homicidal killer who's just like seething with un, unexpressed fury at the world and want to blot it out and stuff. It's more like they want something. They feel they, they're, they're due something uh, from society, from other people that they haven't been getting and they're fully entitled to it. And then they're going to go and get it. Um, so extremely naive people in that sense they're a bit clueless about how the world works but they've got this massive sense of entitlement um, so in the case of this guy Cruz this 19 year old kid I mean his background sure he had a relatively he had some things that he could feel resentful about in his life and stuff but nothing necessarily out of the ordinary that a lot of other 19 year olds don't have to deal with as well yeah. the only difference is that instead of shouldering the kind of burden that burden uh, that many people have uh, that life throws at them uh, and getting on with it and trying to live a decent life. People with a, crimin with a criminal mind, uh, uh, and you could obviously describe that in, in, in other ways, character disturbed or some kind of character disturbed or even psychopathic in some way, feel that they're entitled to um, to kind of a retribution or, or uh, some kind of a reward or some kind of a, mm -hmm. um, atonement for from society or from others for, for the, the things that they have uh, suffered. But again, in service to uh, a sense of entitlement. Yeah. And in this case, based on what this guy has said, he's like he would introduce himself to some people in this kind of nonchalant way. He would say, hi, I'm Nick. I'm a school shooter. Haha, uh, isn't that funny? You know, it's great. You know, I'm going to be a school shooter. And then there was one, there was a school shooting. I was just shooting in the mass. I think it was, I don't think it was school shooting, but in New York last year. He was shooting and apparently he reported, he commented on that by saying, uh, he could do a far better job than that. You know, I could, mm -hmm. I could, I've got guy with a loser. You should see what I'll, I, I'm going to be able to do. You know, there's no seething anger and resentment there. It's this cavalier kind of like grandiosity effectively, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so this guy goes in and, and does this. And, and that fits with the way that he just kind of lay down afterwards. He was, you know, he's, these guys are, you know, if he was a homicidal maniac, he probably would have tried to gone out in a blaze of glory, take down some cops or something. But, you know, they find him kind of lying there on the, on the, on the floor, mm -hmm. and they just walk over to him, he puts his hands out, yeah, take me away, you know, I did yeah. it. So he's basically, what he's achieved is he's, he's, he's achieved his, um, his, his 15 minutes or a few days, whatever, of fame, basically, he's got what he wanted, which was uh, recognition and attention from the world as a school shooter. So, and that could be anything, and any other of life, that could be anything where someone wants to kind of like, um, uh, you know, be the best at something. But the problem for the criminal mind, which is defined, like I said, as a sense of entitlement, uh, people with a criminal mind do not want do not want to do the hard work that would would be required to get the recognition in an honest way. Mm -hmm. So then, left with very few, almost all of them, very few options in, in terms of getting that in, in a dishonest way and getting that attention and recognition. And it's invariably through criminality. You know, it's from I'm going to get my name in the newspaper. Not for something good I did, but because I'm the best school shooter there ever was in America, right? And this is the entitlement that, that, that I have. And the entitlement that I have, you know, almost like as being an American. And this is, this is where the problem comes back to the culture that, 
that this this kid and, and, and a lot of Americans grow up in a culture where um, there it's a culture of entitlement. You know, the American dream, the exceptional nation, America is the best in the world, and uh, and they're entitled to it. And if they don't get that, then then they have a problem with it, and they try and get it uh, in a kind of pathological way. Uh, and it's, you could draw a comparison with um, with well, you could draw a couple of comparisons. You could draw, draw a comparison with the kind of entitlement of the social justice warriors, who supposedly are on the other side of the people that these kind of school shooters are associated with. Uh, but they're, it seems to me that they're more closely aligned ideologically or in terms of their their thinking or their their attitude towards life. They're much more closely aligned to school shooters, as as, as I've just described this guy. Mm-hmm. The social justice warriors are than, than, than conservatives. But you could also draw a comparison to American foreign policy in general. This you know, it, it fits there as well in that sense where uh, America feels, America as a nation state in the world is the exceptional nation feels entitled to rule the world. And when someone, uh, do, you know, thwarts them or doesn't give them what they wanted, then they act act out in, in, in aggressive and angry ways. Um, you know, uh, but not so much that they're, of course, they have a capacity for aggression, but not, not so much because they're extremely angry, but rather at the slight uh, the implied slight of someone pushing back against them, and in this case I'm obviously talking about Russia, uh, uh, pushing back against that sense of entitlement and we rule the world. And so what they do then is they go and, you know, they, they you know, mm. organize it in such a way that a Russian plane gets shot down or, you know, do something against Russia, basically, in a, in a sneaky, underhanded and uh, cynical, self-entitled way. Mm-hmm. I just want to add something <clears throat> about the the what you brought up about the entitlement and the criminal mind and tie that into the, to the resentment thing, because, um, well, first of all, one of the things that Gavin De Becker also writes about is that these, these guys, they are in it for the attention. It is a grandiosity thing, right? It's like that, that's, that, that's their motivation primarily is, mm-hmm. is they want to be in the newspapers. And so, so he actually recommended that whenever a shooting like this happens, that the, the media not publish the guy's name, not put his picture in the paper because that's exactly what they want, and that's what and that infamy then um, you know inspires all the other kids like him, who who then you know want to one up this guy if they were to right. just not to not to publish his name, not to give him any you know bury him in an unmarked grave if he kills himself or gets shot mm-hmm. in the process. Like basically, mm-hmm. don't don't feed don't feed their their you know wish for attention. But as mm-hmm. for the as for the resentment thing, I you know I I was thinking about that and I was. I was, I'm wondering if maybe like the kind of resentment that like Peterson is talking about um, ties into this in the sense that really the only kind of people that feel that kind of resentment towards society and towards life right. are the character disturbed people, the kind of people that end up becoming like a mass shooter or something else, like something equivalent, mm-hmm. maybe not as extreme because most, like most of the people I've met in my life aren't resentful. And right. maybe the few that are, I'd say they're pr- they probably have some serious character disturbances, like personality disorders. That mm-hmm. and this is what uh, Lobachevsky talked about in Ponderology too, where he's where he's talking about the the types of people that you know go um, you know join revolutionary movements essentially to that eventually end up establishing pathocracies. Is that these people because of their their character disturbance, their personality disorders, like their psychopathy, they they feel a uh, um, they feel basically that the world isn't set up the way it should be. That right. 
in such them. a way to give them what they want because they feel right. entitled to so much. Like you said, they don't want to they don't want to work for anything. They don't want to take responsibility mm-hmm. for anything. They want it to be given to them, and they think the world should be set up so that they get what they want with with like zero effort and zero uh, responsibility on their part. It's just given to them, and they think they deserve that. And when they don't get it. They, that actually makes them resent society and resent like normal people. They look at the world mm-hmm. and they say, "Well, look at this. It's like this is this is BS. It's like I should be getting all this stuff. I should be the CEO mm-hmm. of this company. I should be running the country because because I deserve it. And look mm-hmm. at these idiots that are in are are in power. And I should be the one there. And I should I should have it. And I shouldn't have to work for it. And everyone else should mm-hmm. be doing my bidding because I'm better than all them. Because I'm better than all of them, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that that yep. really is the mentality here. Yeah, the resentment, uh, entitlement thing are, are kind of two sides of a coin, really. You know, it's the difference between uh, the idea of a of a school shooter, let's say, or a shooter, ma, you know, mass casualty shooter going into somewhere a school and uh, doing it out of a sense of entitlement, or doing it out of a sense of resentment. You know, does he go in there with a very angry face, screaming and cursing and? killing everybody and you know you know venting anger or is it more of a, a gratifying it's almost like a positive emotion where it's more gratifying like now i'm getting what i wanted so yeah. you, you've got these two images of one going in with this angry violent face and another one going in quite calm and happy at the fact that now he is getting what he wanted mm-hmm. you know yeah. Uh, but yeah they, i think it, it's not easy to tease and, and to say that it's one or the other i think like like we're saying that they're basically flip sides or two sides of a coin, you know, um, entitlement and resentment, and it can uh, both of them exist exist together, you know. Because yeah. if you're resentful of life, on on on, and um, if you take your resentment too far, or even if you if you feel any enduring resentment about life in general or things that have happened to you at all, then there's an underlying sense of entitlement. Mm-hmm. There has to be, you know, yeah. uh, undue entitlement. So. Yeah. Well, to get back to some of like the specifics of the of the shooting that took place in Florida, um, like so far we've got these these two kids that have have said that they think that there are more than one shooter. Um, you know, I don't I don't really. Um, well, at this point, I wouldn't take their testimony as being like you know slam dunk proof because. I, like for, no. for 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 me for, for that to happen, there'd have to be several things I think that that would have to happen the next days and weeks, um, because first of all, um, like there's the, there's that report that you mentioned earlier that uh, that he was wearing a gas mask. I'll have to double check mm-hmm. this, but I, I I'm pretty sure I read an article just before we went live. I think it was on the Independent saying that the the local police have said that that was not the case and that there there were no grenades or gas masks used. I don't know. I'll mm-hmm. have to double check that out, but. Um, like, let, let's just, like, I, I tried to run through this scenario in my head, like how things would have gone down. And so, so, so far the story, like as, as it's been laid out for us and as we, you know, as Neil laid out at the beginning of the show is that this guy, um, allegedly went in the school, you know, shot it up, killed a bunch of people, then, um, you know, tried to blend in, tried to blend in with the crowd, got out. Um, we haven't mentioned yet. Apparently, he went to a couple places, like a McDonald's or something, before the police found him, and he basically willingly like surrendered to the police. He didn't, you know, didn't put up a fight. Um, allegedly confessed immediately, and uh, you know, so he's now in, in custody and he's been been arraigned and so on. Now, so if this is happening in the school, presumably, um, you know, he didn't kill everyone that saw him. So there would there there would have been and will have been like 
witnesses who saw the shooter. Now, whether he was masked or not, we don't know for sure yet. But you'd you'd think that if that was the case and there were more than one shooter, you'd get some people, some witnesses that would come forward saying, I saw the shooter and that was not Nicholas Cruz. It's like, right. you know, for sure. Like, that's that wasn't him. Like, so whenever, well, um, and pres- presumably we should get some people coming forward saying, or I think at least the, the silence in this case would be... Um, um, more suggestive of it being Nicholas Cruz, because if the media is all saying it's Nicholas Cruz and no one, no one comes forward one way or the other, then you can kind of just take it as they're not saying anything because it's common knowledge and they don't have to confirm it. It's like, oh yeah, it was Nicholas Cruz. I'm, I don't have to say, you know, tell the media, oh yeah, I saw I saw mm-hmm. the shooter and it was him. But um, it's at least possible that some people might come forward and saying, saying, yeah, I saw Cruz and you know while he was shooting. Um, so mm. far, we haven't anyone haven't had any witnesses come forward like giving any evidence or any kind of testimony that it wasn't Nicholas Cruz doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, or that there were more But people. how likely is it for someone to come forward after it's been established, in quotes, that it is him? Well, I think I think Given so. the climate of the United States, remember the two girls gave their statements immediately after. Mm-hmm. And they had not just been subject to, this is the message one ought to have, and therefore fear hadn't kicked in at, you know, the terror of whatever the state coming to get you because, you know, you're saying the wrong thing kind of thing. Well, I don't, I don't think that most people I mean, that think like that, um, especially like high school kids. It's like, and even even like locals and even local police, like like there was a, a constable's uh, son that was killed in the in the shooting. And when you have like a, a local community like that and like they they want the truth. That's when, I, when something hits a community like this, the community wants the truth and and when something goes wrong, it's like it's usually the feds that have to come in to to, to stamp anything down, and the, and the locals are usually like, um, uh, what's the word? Like shocked and um, indignant that the like the feds are coming in and and meddling with the investigation. So when you have like, so if a one of these kids saw that just like these two kids i think they'd say well well you know i you know cruz he probably was a shooter because everyone says he is um but i definitely saw this other guy doing it and that he didn't look like cruz like i don't see i don't see the average kid or and even the average just american you know citizen being like fearful of coming forward with uh with additional you know what could be additional evidence for an additional shooter i don't know i i, I just that doesn't strike me as super likely but you know maybe i'm wrong well i don't know if this explains it well at all but a couple of interesting things about um parkland it's a very affluent community uh the median home is uh valued at about a million dollars maybe a little less uh it's also a fairly liberal minded community as well uh after the shootings took place in the past few days there have been um you know these rallies uh, for greater gun control. Um, and there's something about the, uh, the culture the mentality of the, of the town that speaks to, um, a certain mindset. Um, and I don't know if that plays at all into the kind of indignation that we might expect to see in other places or among other kind of stratas of, uh, our society in, in terms of people uh, seeing through or being um, 
courageous enough to speak out on, on certain things correctly. Uh, it's just interesting to me that, that so many of the voices afterward called for, for gun control. Um, so that may or may not have a part in, in the, the type of response we, we could or could not expect to see from the people in, uh, in that area. Well, I think that's more of like a, a political response. I'm talking about just like on a like very basic emotional community response. Mm-hmm. Like in your community, like if, if, if you're involved in a, a mass crime like this, everyone kind of comes together, you know, in their shared, you know, shared trauma mm-hmm. and and wants to catch, you know, catch the person responsible for it. And when, well, I don't know. I, I don't know how else to say it. It's just a. I think I think in this case the bottom line is that you know 17 people were killed. This guy knew how to use a gun, uh, had a had a reason for doing it, as we described. And uh, there aren't enough uh, there aren't enough credible witnesses that say that there was more than one person involved. There's no need for more than one person involved in this case. There's not a very high body count. Um, so kind of Occam's razor on this one, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at at the moment. Yeah. You want to take that call? Oh, yes, we've got a call. Oh, um, no microphone. So, caller, mm. try to fix your microphone if you want to call in. Um, but we'll we'll keep an eye open to see if that works. Oh. Okay. So, while... Um, while Caller is trying Did to... You, can you not play that video I sent you, Harrison? Well, let me try. Um, we're going to try it out. I don't know if it's going to work, but we'll try it anyways. Now, can you hear You're that? Playing? No. No? Okay, yeah. No, that's not going to work. That's basically the video of, of people, locals in the, in Parkland in Florida um, saying that Two of them saying that um, that Russia is responsible for the shooting, and the other guy saying that well, who who benefits directly from this? It's it's the guy who's been given money to uh, guy who's been Putin who's been given money to Donald Trump through the NRA. That's what he said. So that's pretty pretty scary, you know that the that that the propaganda has. Has really worked, you know. A year of anti-Russian propaganda has got down to the point where people will, at this point, believe literally anything that bad bad that happens in the USA could, in theory, be ascribed to um, to Russia. It's kind of like gives you gives you a good idea of the level of uh, hysteria and complete lack of thinking, or, or <laughs> I don't know what it is. More than lack of thinking, it's I don't know what it is, but uh, just how how ignorant these people are. Um, that they would, that you know, how, well, I suppose how victimized they feel, you know, especially the ones that hate, don't like Trump, you know, um, how conditioned they are. Yeah. So, well, just another interesting uh, fact about the location is that um, it's only forty miles from Trump's Mar-a-Lago. Uh, Camp David-esque, you know, um, mansion, estate. Um, and there's been some speculation that if this was a kind of setup in some way, uh, 
that it may have been a kind of uh, a message to the pro um, NRA Trump. Um, and of course, the timing of all of this is is pretty interesting. You know, we've as we've discussed previously, uh, the the FISA memo, the 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 kind of political rancor and back and forth in Washington, uh, where it would appear to be that that the Democrats are are on the ropes, the DNC is on the ropes. Um, so if it was a kind of a, a setup or false flag, a la Sandy Hook and, and other mass shootings, uh, it does serve as a heck of a distraction. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, um, we've talked about this before in terms of the, the kind of shootings, and there's various. It's not just there's not just one description of a of a a one way that a a manipulated or false flag shooting, mass shooting, mass casualty shooting can can happen. You know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, we, years ago we talked about uh, Sirhan Sirhan, mm-hmm. as well as Sandy Hook and all that kind of stuff. But Sirhan Sirhan is a good example. You know, um. Of of someone who can you know actually be in a room and fire a gun, but not be the only one. That's one version. Um, another version, obviously, is where people can have their heads messed with uh, to the point that um, that they'll actually do something violent <clears throat> um, all by themselves. But it's no less manipulated because someone messed with their heads. A example of that would be uh, the Boston Marathon bombers, you know, uh, who probably had some. Mm, some influence from somewhere and of course once you throw in the idea of you know the well-known kind of uh, technology that's been around for many decades to influence to basically project voices into people's heads you know microwave devices that can produce that can project voices into people's heads uh, telling them to do things that they um, interpret as the as a voice of God or whatever um yeah it gets there's it's it's not it's not simple in terms of figuring out or saying that something was or wasn't a, a false flag and and of course then at the other end of the spectrum or, or close to that kind of distance manipulation uh, would be the fact that some people uh just kind of want to shoot other people themselves mm-hmm. uh as you know they, they they want to act out there's there's like we said there are uh, criminally minded people out there, and um, and in a society like in the US, where where school shootings and just shooting people is 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 become far too common. Uh, and the problem is when it becomes common. I mean, the more these things happen, the more the more normal they they start to appear. Uh, that it's plausible that the more the more often they will happen because it's not such a big deal anymore. You know, mm-hmm. um, it'll become normal for somebody who feels that kind of resentment or entitlement to just decide to go on, um, you know, today I'm going to go and shoot up uh, the mall. I'm just going to go and do it. And <laughs> it's done. And there you go. There's another mass shooting event and nobody was involved, you know, because it's become commonplace. It's part of the culture, you know. Mm-hmm. Does anyone recall reading statements by Cruz stating that he actually heard voices giving him specific instructions? There I heard a reference to that. Yeah. Go ahead. There, just that, that there was someone who s- said that he said that. Mm-hmm. I can't remember who it was, if it was police or if it was, a, um, you know, an acquaintance, but um, I haven't seen any kind of direct quote yet. Mm-hmm. About that. 
Now that that could, if you did he did say it, that could just mean that he had a psychosis. Uh, it doesn't mean that he was necessarily mind controlled, but uh, if, if yeah. it's true that he said that, it, it could also be um, that he was mind controlled. Yeah. Or, yes. or if he's just playing out a well-rehearsed drama and he's just a copycat, then <clears throat> he just um, knew that that's the kind of thing he's expected to say, and so he said it exactly. for, for laws. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, this guy isn't. This guy wasn't. I mean, he he had. Um, the it was confirmed by the people that it, the family that he was staying with up until the day of the shooting was that uh, you know his mother died of pneumonia last year and his father died several years ago, but he wasn't according to his family that he was staying with he wasn't such a bad guy at all. He, the, the father described him as as uh, naive but not stupid, and he basically you know he didn't know how to cook for himself, he didn't know how to clean up after himself or do, do his laundry and stuff you know, but he was kind of enthusiastic enough about. Um, He's going to night classes for for something or other adult education. He was apparently quite stoked about the uh, army recruiter came around to the classes that he went to um, uh, recently, and he was planning on signing up for the military. Um, and he also had apparently the figure I saw was eight hundred thousand dollars waiting for him as an inheritance from his parents when he turned twenty two. Hmm. Um. So, and the father said they didn't know the exact. Fi- the father didn't give the exact figure. Someone else gave that figure, but the father said they saw evidence that he was going to be very well uh, catered to, catered for financially in the near future um, because of an inheritance. So, they put all the pieces together really, and you see naive because the naivety st- strikes me. The, the description that he was naive but not stupid. Uh, strikes me as very characteristic of people with a criminal mind in that sense. You know, where they do have this naive view of life where they think they can get away. They're delusional effectively, but they're not crazy, you know. They're delusional in the sense that they, they think that the, their entitlement leads them to be delusional where they think they can get away with all these kind of things. They deserve to get away with all these kind of different uh, criminal activities because they're, they're due them, and uh, but they don't, they don't realize, they don't have the thinking process. They've got some program running where doesn't doesn't uh, that doesn't allow them to take into consideration the, the kind of future in a certain sense or, or that they're going to spend the rest of their life in prison if they keep doing this, you know. Uh, it's the impulse to, to just get stuff for free and get away with stuff and, have, and, and you know, uh, that the laws don't apply to them is an overriding impulse and doesn't, and overrides the any considerations or any proper thinking uh, about the future, you know, and about their own. They kind of live in the moment. They're the, they're the classic New Agers, you know. They're the ones who are living in the moment. Well, they're very spiritual people. <laughs> Here's how incredibly in the moment he lived. Um, In a timeline given by the police two days ago and reported by AP, he was due to be given a lift that morning to his adult education class by the father of the family who had taken him in. But not that day. He told him to the effect, according to the family's lawyer, oh, it's Valentine's Day, I don't go to school on Valentine's Day. Right. Mm -hmm. Um... Now, he's on his way. He's hailed an Uber. He's on his way, with, apparently, with his duffel bags and all his kit. Um, in the car on the way to the Douglas High School, he texts the son of the family, so his friend in this family, who was inside the school, still at school. He's a junior at the school. 
and the text read, hey, yo, hey, what you doing? Like a hail. How you doing? And this kid, the son of the family he stays with, says that this he got this text at 2.18. At 2.19, Cruz arrives. Begins shooting within two minutes, 2.21, and then the shooting's all over at 2.24. So he did the shooting in just three minutes. Two minutes after texting his mate to say, how's it going? Knowing that his friend, in quotes, is in the school. Well, there was a text before that where he asked his friend what classroom he was in, but suggested, ah, that, he, suggested that he was trying to avoid, avoid uh, shooting his friend. Which is a very cold, cool, calm, collected uh, way of going about it, you know? Very rational in that sense. And having no concern for for the fact that he was going to you know, go to jail, possibly be executed, but probably go to jail for, for the rest of his life. That's, that's the way that's a criminal mind. That's the way well, that people and, think. And there was, uh, I read a, an account from another one of the kids at the school uh, just this morning who said that he saw Cruz right before the shooting and and Cruz had told him, I, I, you know, I guess they mu- must have been friends or acquaintances of, of some sort, but he, he said Cruz told him, oh, you better get out of here. Things are about to get really ugly. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, movie script, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That actually reminds me of... Um, uh, Is it the Columbine? Uh, no, actually one of the Boston Bombers, uh, Johar, right? Johar's the young one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And how, uh, like, right after right after the bombing, because he, he and his, you know, his brother, uh, Tamerlan, were, you know, at this, you know, at the scene and then walked away, you know, right before the bombs. And as he, you know, right after they, they the, the bombing, they were going out, you know, went out for, you know, got some food, went back to, Johar went back to his apartment, was hanging out with his friends. And like, uh, if you read like the text messages he was sending and, and read what his friends were saying about their interactions with him, he was just like totally nonchalant. He denied, you know, he was, he, he, like he denied any kind of, well, he didn't explicitly deny um, being there, but he just gave the impression that everything was cool and that he had no idea what, you know, what was going on. Mm-hmm. And, um, and even when in that video of him, I think it was, it was either that day or it was sometime in the, in the, you know, the days before, you know, he, he got shot and, and caught, um, where he's just like strutting around this convenience store. Um, he knows like the cops are, are out there looking for him and he's just like, he's got he just looks totally full of himself and like, mm. like not a care in the world. And, mm. and even like, so, you know, watching that and, and reading the testimonies and stuff made me, you know, it's what, one of the things that made me think that, you know, even if, if he had been manipulated in some way, like he, he knew, he knew what was going on and, and just didn't have a care in the world. Mm. It's really kind of chilling. And that's, that's the same impression I get from this cruise guy. Well, mm. Most of the most of the people that are involved in things like this, mm. it's just like yeah, yeah. Over. yeah. The Boston bombing, Boston Marathon bombing, though, was a bit bit weirder. You know, I'm not I'm not entirely convinced that those two guys really knew what knew that they were part of that operation. You know, it may have been something, may have been been uh, closer to them being real kind of patsies. You know, well, uh, I yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I think th- I think they knew, um, and I think th- if they didn't know, then they would have known really soon afterwards. And, you know, their behaviors might have been pretty different. Like, if you know there's a target on your head and, and you're being framed for something, I think I think you'd act a bit differently than they than they did. Uh, yeah. 
I don't know. Yeah, I'm hiding in the boat and stuff like that. Yeah, well, no, and just all the stuff in between, like, um, you know, the, the interactions with their friends and, uh, you know, the mm. text messages they're sending around. And Yeah, but, um, but, but I mean, that, that, none of that's very clear to me because there was, first of all, it was the Saudi guy who's, in, who's the suspect in it, you know, and he gets arrested and stuff. And I don't know, there's something very weird about those two guys um, and what, what was going on with them and who they were being contacted by and who they were involved with beforehand and then i mean the, the stuff with the, with the older brother tamerlan where he supposedly gets into a car and says you know hijacks a car at, later in the evening when they're looking for him and 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 tells the driver hey did you hear about the, the bombing in boston today yeah that was me my name's tamerlan tarnev and i did it you know, and very, that's that's what the guy in the car supposedly that he hijacked, you know, said to him, and it's just like it all sounded a bit kind of like scripted in a certain sense. And then, and then Johar afterwards, he was the one who survived uh, in 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 court. You know, nobody was allowed to hear his testimony. It was only transcripts of it. But people who were there said, uh, uh, "This is a, few, a couple of years ago now, where his first appearance in court, where he was speaking in a thick Russian accent." Mm. You know. Yeah, there's some, there's some uh, weird stuff. Yeah. And he was born in America more. He was, I think he was born in America, but certainly he had an American accent, you know. Mm-hmm. He'd been there for years, uh, since he was a kid at least. Um, so there's a lot of weird stuff about the, the Boston bombings and um, and the fact that what I don't like about the Boston bombings basically is that uh, compared to this one today, for example, is that it's too easy to, it was too easy to do to set that set those guys up, you know, it's not so easy to set uh, set um, what do you call them uh, crews up, you know. But mm-hmm. it was too easy to have the two brothers walk down through Boston on, to meet someone, whatever, and have pre-planted explosives, you know, and then for them to go off and then to release their pictures, you know, if it's set up in advance, you put people in a very difficult situation, you know. Um, although, like you said. What would anybody who was innocent do in that situation where they saw their name or their face on TV as wanted for this? Um, you would suppose you'd just go and hand yourself in, right? Well, you'd, you'd, you'd do something. <laughs> like, mm. These guys you wouldn't, like, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. You wouldn't try and make a, a, a run for it, right? Which is supposedly what they did. Um, right. Or you'd, or you'd tell someone, or you know, give some kind of hint, or you know. He's got, like, right afterwards, the other thing was, was just smoking weed with his friends. It's like, right, but th- th- their profiles didn't fit at all. Like, they're very different from this guy, you know? Yeah, no, yeah, no totally. And, and then and in the boat, when he's, he's hiding out in the boat, and, uh, and he writes a confession, supposedly, mm-hmm. after he's been shot a bunch of times, scrawls a confession in blood or something. Or, or uh, it's like, why would you do that? <laughs> pretty much, I'm pretty sure everybody knows you did at this point. You're full of holes hiding in a boat, and half of Boston Police Department has surrounded the boat. You know what are you writing a confession for? You know. Yeah. Well, we could talk about it's hard to know for a while. Yeah. <clears throat> well, either way, the effect is the same, I suppose, from an event like this. And it's a, it's interesting. It doesn't take any prompting for the divisions in society to immediately spring up, right? Mm-hmm. Gun control. Well, there, there was one thing where some white nationalist in Florida claimed on Cruz's behalf that he was part of their organization. 
And then, 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 quick, just as quickly, disclaimed it. Although in the meantime, the ADL has claimed that they have their own sources confirming yada yada that uh, this cruise guy was a member of the Republic of Florida white nationalist group or whatever. Yeah, uh, that's been dropped quickly. But the, even even without these kind of provocations, even without say something, let's say something more serious, um, there was a report on Wired citing some NGO that is connected with, I don't know, some Atlanticist group that uh, watches online for Russian troll activity, claiming that they were noticing a pattern of Russian trolls, Russian bots have been activated in the aftermath of the shooting to spread, I suppose, fake news about it. Pro-NRA. Pro-NRA. Statements. That's what they were up for, because supposedly, well, everything that Trump wants Russia's a scapegoat. Everything that Trump wants is what Russia wants. And if Trump gets it, then Russia, Russia got it for him, mm. uh, basically. So it's, it's, uh, but, I, but, and that's obviously, uh, you know, the fact that this whole, the, the, the indictments of 13, 13 Russian trolls, these are basically 13 people from a Russian troll, like they're associated in some way with a so-called Russian troll factory, i.e. an internet agency that's, you know, that every government has. Every government in the Western world has a department of their, usually of their intelligence agencies that are dedicated to uh, creating dynamic narratives on the internet, i.e., you know, basically trolling uh, in one way or another. It's propaganda wars. Every every government has a department engaged in propaganda warfare. And so there's 13 individuals who are in one way or another associated with uh, this Russian inter- internet research agency, which is the name given to the, the Russian uh, department that, that deals with that. Um, and that's it. That's all they've got. Thirteen people, supposedly. So there's no evidence that they swung the election. People have even said that. That's officially said they didn't actually swing the election anyway. They were just interfering. And this is it. That's it. That's all they've got. Thirteen people from Russia were interfering, and they basically they were the way they were interfering was buying ads. And one of the ads was for puppy dog, puppy dog pictures uh, uh, that they promoted. And the other one was, I can't remember what the other one was, but it's equally stupid and, and irrelevant. Um, Jesus versus Hillary, that one? Yeah, something like promoting Jesus or funny, fun, funny something. Um, so the point of this is, like, they, they haven't got anything Trump anymore. So the point of this whole Mueller investigation and Trump-Russia collusion business all along is now pointing to that, or, or the point of it is, is becoming clear in terms of what they're what they're sticking with, which is Russia's evil. Yeah. You know, Russia, 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 Russia's evil. I think that was their primary objective all along. I mean, of course, we know that they were, they were out to get Trump because they were hysterical about about Trump having some kind of, uh, you know, kind of more positive foreign policy vis-a-vis Russia. But it's, that's still about Russia. It's not so much about Trump, you know. These people are obsessed with Russia mm. for some reason, and that's what this is all about. There and, they're hap- and they're happy, actually, to to get, uh, to allow that madness to spread throughout the U.S. or to actively promote it where Russia is to blame for, in some way or other, for everything that bad that might happen. Whatever way they can spin it yeah. to, ex- to sh- explain or show that Russia is some way benefiting from anything bad that happens in America. I mean, you can see it's quite dangerous, I mean, because they've set it up in this way. And I mean, that, that link I just posted in the chat room, those people in Florida saying that Putin benefited from this, benefits from this Florida shooting. Uh, it's, 
it's very useful because I mean I will I'm not I I'm actively not surprised already. It's not that I won't be surprised. I'm actively preparing myself now to be not surprised when if and when some downturn in the economy happens in the US. It's Russia. They I mean, already, that's what they're going to say. And, and just let your imagination run wild in terms of anything else bad that can happen they, in America. And Russia will be blamed. And they, it's they've just already made a Hollywood movie about it, which predates this current hysteria. About 2013, it was a Jack Ryan reboot. And Jack Ryan is a young CIA officer. He's in Russia. Maybe he's pulled home or something. And then trouble follows him, I think. Anyway, the, the basis of the story is that the Russians tank the U.S. dollar by selling all the treasuries, and they do it deliberately to bring down the state. And it gets absurd after that, but that basic premise has some basis in reality, although with a big, big twist, of course. Mm. But it's, it's been there. It's been, it's, uh, it's been on their minds for a long time. And the, the, the video we have, uh, the, the roughly video of the vigil held in Parkland, uh, I guess that night or very soon after the shooting, those parents didn't need the specific prompting of a suggestion from on high no. that Russia may have been involved in this some way. They didn't need to read those reports linking Putin to the NRA no. to Trump. That's, it's already there. That's, it's, that's, it's, they that's can reach most, for it. That's how it's most effective, of course. Yes, that's, It disturbed me because it showed me that the, the propaganda after one year, whatever it is, of, of this uh, anti-Russia Trump collusion, Trump hacker election business that has been just... I mean, it's been the most... Shocking and impressive display of propaganda, a propaganda war, of catapulting propaganda, as George Bush used to say, uh, that I've ever seen. You know, I mean, it's it's amazing. It's it's like being full steam ahead. Pretty much all of the media, with the exception of Fox News and a few conservative sites, all of the media pushing it every day, over and over again, in obvious ways and very subtle ways, to the point where that's what happens. Some dude and some woman down in you know, the boondocks, basically, in Florida, when asked about something bad that happened in the community that affects them personally, blame Russia. Uh, it's, it's just, it's, it's madness. It's just, I, I, I mean, there's I no one report. In the a specific claim in, in Mueller's indictment of these 13 people um, was that Russia was causing, influencing, paying for whatever, I can't remember, both pro and anti-Trump rallies. Mm. Yep. So you got the both base covered. So just because the opposite scenario arises where, I don't know, something positive happens and it's good for Trump and America as a whole, and everyone can see that, mm -hmm. they still be able to step in and say, well, ah, but steady on now, because th this Russia wins, you see. Russia wins on both sides, yeah. no well, matter what happens. Well, what's interesting with that is that Russia is obviously associated and still in a lot of people's minds with, uh, especially in America and in Western Europe, with uh, communism and the communist plot to take over America. That was, you know, McCarthyism and everything that happened since. Uh, and that was obviously a socialist plot, uh, you know, a Marxist, radical Marxist socialist plot that, that was coming from Russia, from the Soviet Union, to destroy America from within. But now Putin, as the leader of Russia, is being accused of siding with Trump, who's a conservative leader, and is being reeled against by all of the radical Marxist communist types in the U.S. who arguably, I mean historically, are Russian agents, are Soviet agents. They are the ones, I mean, just look, up, look at Marx and look at you know, Marxist literature and stuff, and, and that's what they're espousing. But 
those are the people. So the Marxist, Leninist, revolutionary, revolutionaries who are who would be the vanguard of overthrowing America from the in, you know, from the inside are the ones who are attacking Trump and Putin, the leader of Russia, for stopping them from overthrowing America. It, it, it makes sense, though. It makes sense because they're angry at Putin and Russia for not being communist anymore. Oh. Right? And they're mad at the American government for helping it happen in the I 90s. See. So they want they want the world revolution and they want it now, and yeah. and Putin has to pay for it. Yeah. Well, then when you throw in the extra bit about you know the, the the new conservatives, a lot of the new conservatives and some of the new liberals, but basically there's no difference between those two types of people. The neocons, uh, Bill Crystal and all those people, a bunch of them all were in the 1960s and 70s were all a bunch of Trotskyists. Mm-hmm were members of, uh, you know, that uh, ascribed to the that the communist, you know, the the permanent revolution business, you know. That was their ideology. Um, it's it's just, the whole thing is, it's just bizarre. It's a bizarre world, you know. Everything's turned upside down, sideways, inside well, I, out. I just want to get back to something you said a few minutes ago, Joe, that, um, about this kind of uh, well, so well-programmed propaganda such that people are responding automatically with, oh, you know, it must be Russia. Um, because as much as that's happening, there's this uh, um, this kind of um, separation uh, or fractionalization even more uh, on the other end of things where you have a great number of people who, you know, are listening to people like Tucker Carlson and reading, you know, alt news sites and and have a different, very different picture. Obviously, see the Russian collusion narrative for the bullshit that it is, and uh, and have been able to put two and two together and and uh, come to the conclusion that Russia is, you know, not the enemy. Uh, and these people who who have kind of. Um, Bonded to the the truth of the matter, are angry and and very upset that they continue to see uh, the Mueller investigation, the lies about Russia. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so you know you have these two kind of camps right now that are um, really at opposing ends of of seeing things as they as they really are, and it's. It's those people who do see things closer to the truth of things that are what uh, deep state factions in the U.S. are really frightened of at this time and are scrambling to um, to correct. And and by that, I mean that they're just they continue to hammer on the Russia is evil narrative in spite of all evidence to the contrary or no evidence proving so. So we are seeing this kind of um, a very strong divergence among uh, okay. segments. Okay, two things on that. Only it, two? It depends what you mean. Only two. depends what you mean by great numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is that it's only the other camp. You'll never beat the anger of the other camp. <laughs> the anger and resentment. The anger and resentment of regular folk can never match the anger and resentment of the types of people who have the power. 
you know, uh, the dominant ideology, the ones with the power. So, yeah, it's interesting to see it play out. And there's hope that there are signs of psychological resistance in people. Some people. It's some people. But it's hard not to feel at times uh, sick to your stomach at the potential tragedy that's yet to unfold. Mm-hmm. Um, because the, the growing anger, as you described it, of those some who can see, uh, I mean, it's, 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 it's not, the, the ones with power and the dominant ideology are not going to lie down. They're not going to go, oh, okay, you got us. Um, they very nearly didn't accept the democratic transition of power for Trump. Very nearly. There was certainly an atmosphere of trying to sabotage it anyway. Mm. And you wonder, uh, next time around, would they be much more explicit? Probably. Oh, well, they'll continue to double down with their, uh, with their acts and their propaganda. That's, that's for absolute certain. Um, but that will only show to those people who can see through it uh, just how dangerous uh, an enemy uh, those deep state actors are as a body. Yeah, I'm not sure it's uh, in terms of social justice wars. Although I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure it's an act. You know, uh, the, the problem is is really is an entrenched problem. It's it's not a it's not a soluble problem. Is a thing you know because what what you see what we seem to be confronted by is that has come out that's been exposed you know for all the world to see let's say particularly in the US over over Trump and it's bizarre that just Trump's election pulled back the curtain on it or made them come out full steam and obviously um, the Peterson thing helped as well you know in terms of him taking a stand about over the whole gender gender pronoun business that brought everything else with it but there seems to be two I've had enough experience with it, with these with these social justice type people to realize that um, they're not there's something very foundationally different uh, with them, you know, um, compared to like myself or people who hold a similar perspective. Um, it's not just about different different views; it's about um, it's 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 almost like a cosmology or. It's a, it's a spiritual belief for these people that that isn't just something they've adopted, but it's 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 something from within their core that they're expressing, and it's not compatible with what is in the core of the other people. And as long as both sides, are particularly the social justice ones who are on the on the attack, effectively insist on their extremist version of things, which is you know bring down the patriarchy and destroy white uh, white privilege and that kind of thing, um, which which obviously which implies a kind of ultimately a wholesale destruction of the of the institutions of the, uh, within Western countries within the U.S. or in, in European countries. Um, if they don't come away from that extremist position, um, then you know there's no solution um, other than you know some kind of a some kind of a war, you know. Uh, Street battles, I don't know, you know. That's the only way they'll ever, I mean, you know, people get, people are more likely to, to moderate their demands 
<clears throat> after they've had a good beating, you know, uh, or after, by that I mean after they've had to actually stand up and engage and pay the ultimate price and, and suffer physically and psychologically and, and emotionally or whatever for for their, for that which they, they think they are, are due. And when someone says, well, you're not due it and you're going to have to take it from me, and then they have to take it from the other person physically and, and there's a, some kind of a war, then afterwards uh, those people who are very vociferous and, and extremist in their demands tend to, you know, the experience of having to fight for it usually makes them um, moderate their position a little bit, you know. Uh, that's unfortunately the way that's, you know, that's why ultimately, you know, conflicts are, are <clears throat> disagreements, not always, but especially when, you know, they're quite extremist, extreme uh, disagreements. People just dispense with the arguing, arguing and go for the violence, you know, uh, to sort it out because they understand that after, like I just said, after people have had to fight for it, then they're, 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 generally willing to take a little bit less, you know. Both sides tend to okay, decide, okay, mm, you know, <laughs> let's uh, isn't there a better way, you know. They get tired of fighting with each other, basically. They get tired of, 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 of dying. Um, they do a cost-benefit analysis. Yeah. And such is, the, such is the state or the stage of evolution of, of human beings, you know. Despite what uh, the social justice warrior types and the, and the extreme leftists would, would have, uh, or would posit for for human evolution where we're at. They, basically, they, they they project the whole lot of us, you know, or, or them anyway, uh, way into the future, you know, way beyond their station, their actual station of of, of evolution <coughs> as human beings. <coughs> they they push themselves way way far beyond that, you know, and that's that's quite dangerous, you know, because then you start prescribing uh, radical changes and stuff to society that push towards a kind of utopian a utopia or utopian vision of society. That requires, you know, sweeping away the old order and stuff, and that usually involves conflict and, and chaos and destruction and stuff. You know, and that's why those people are dangerous because the extremeness of their position and the extremeness of their position is fueled by a uh, massively unrealistic uh, understanding of where human beings are at right now and what they, what the next, where they can be, where they should be according according to them, where human beings should be. Uh, and, and they're very angry that at all of the kind of atavistic, kind of Neanderthal-type uh, structures within society, where, where, where men pinch women's bottoms, and people don't like some people don't like transgender people, and you know people have a bit of you know <coughs> racial <coughs> identification and stuff, um, and there's a bit of oppression and stuff. That's all intolerable to them because you know as far as they're concerned, we're so much better than that. We're so much further along the road than that, and it's only these. Neanderthals are dragging us back on the on the right, you know. Um, so yeah, they're 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 clueless and deluded. And the problem is when they get into positions of power and are able to actually go some way to instituting those instituting those those radical changes, then uh, they're the ones who who are the architects of of the destruction of of society, and ultimately. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, it's it's you know it's a big problem. Um, and not one that's easily solved unless people get a grip, which there's no sign of them doing. You know, get a hold of their senses again, um, because you know. <sighs> yeah, well, the other thing we're talking about <clears throat> today, actually earlier on, was the, in terms of that difference between the left and the right. If you just take it in broad strokes, it seems that the 
the leftists tend to be what what they seem to display is an extreme subjectivity, uh, where they and their their perspective and they themselves, their vision, their identity, what they think, what they feel, is the kind of be all and end all, uh, and should be respected and should be held up as equal, as we know, equal to everybody else's. You know, um, they're the beginning and the end of 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 reality as far for a lot of them as far as they're concerned. That's kind of postmodernist thing, but a lot of them subscribe to it. It's very attractive to certain people anyway, I suppose, of a certain uh, nature that you would be you kinda put yourself in the position of God, you know. You are able to prescribe uh, the medicine or the solutions to all of society's ills <coughs> across the board. And it's because you think it and feel it, then it must be true. And it's as true as anything anybody else says. It's even as true as anything science might say or biology might say. It doesn't matter. That's all relative. <clears throat> um, and so those people are, it's a hyper subjectivism that they, that they embody. And they have no consideration, no awareness, no innate understanding perhaps of something higher than themselves. Uh, even in terms of, you don't even have to go kind of spiritual or transcendental. You can, they tend to, they don't, they don't, Take, show any respect or consideration or sense of responsibility towards society at large, for example, and what's good and bad for society. They don't, they don't bother to think further than their own noses because they don't like to because that takes the focus off them. They don't try and take into consideration what's good or bad for society as a whole, of which they're a part. Um, so that's even that idea of society, uh, you know, say American society, 320 whatever million people, um, that's too diverse for them in fact um, and they, uh, so, so they they don't subscribe to any any idea of some a bigger force like or responsibility towards uh, doing right by a, by a bigger organism you know or the existence of a bigger organism mm-hmm. and obviously they, they obviously don't really a lot of them tend to be agnostic or atheistic or in some way or other very secular they don't subscribe to any ideas of God you know that's the patriarchy basically so that's that's those people's kind of worldview, you know, and uh, and everything they say and formulate in their minds is in service to 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 the validation of that view, uh, like relativism and there is no truth and you know uh, there's no truth to biology. Uh, everything is a social construct, you know. That's all in service to their own kind of. It's essentially a will to power, you know, because if you if you conceive if you can't conceive of anything other than yourself as real and your own thoughts and feelings, then ultimately everything you do will be in service to your own thoughts and feelings, and you'll disregard or certainly put in second place anything that's about a, a, an outside group. Even though they have their groups, but we know there's so much infighting in the groups that they identify anyway. You know, these people, you know, they'll never be able to organize anything except a, a chaotic revolution. You know, where everybody runs out in the street screaming. Uh, anti-Trump slogans and tries to kill people. Um, so that's those people's, uh, seems to be those people, a lot, the kind of vision or nature that drives a lot of those people who gravitate towards the radical left and that's opposed by uh, the kind of more conservative type people who do uh, have a sense of something higher than themselves and they have an allegiance to something higher than themselves that even isn't of this, <coughs> isn't of this world or and something that an authority, effectively, that they should respect a higher authority. That idea is eschewed by uh, by, by the left completely. 
it's a, it's the thing to be destroyed. In fact, you know, the idea of a hierarchy or a patriarchy, whatever they, whatever way they want to describe it, you know. But if you think about it, it all comes down to their own will to power. They're in it for themselves, ultimately, these people. Despite what they say about minorities and people of color and immigrants and blah, blah, they don't care about any of them. All of those people's oppression, so-called oppression, is being um, <clears throat> appropriated by these leftists to further their own, their own personal will to power. And that's why they should all be pushed off a cliff. Your Honour, <clears throat> I rest my case. You're out of order. <laughs> no, you're out of order. <laughs> <laughs> this whole court is out of order. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I mean, they shouldn't be pushed off cliff, but like I said, I'm just trying to describe yeah. what, what seems to me as, as, the, as the insolubility of the problem. Uh, it, it can't be reconciled. There's no reconciling those two kind of forces, you know. Uh, and they have they've, somehow they've been brewing in the background. You know, the conservative one has always been there, but this leftist one has grown, you know, and grown and, and metastasized and turned into a, a radical version of itself, you know. And like I said, the curtain was pulled back over the past few years, and it's like where everybody else is like, holy, what the hell is that? Who's hiding that? You know. Uh, you should, you know, you shouldn't hide those things. You know, although uh, arguably, if anybody was paying attention, you could see that it was growing and stuff. You know, but nobody could ever expected that it would have been turned into this kind of wailing and gnashing of teeth. You know, which is, you know, biblical reference. You know, about the end times, actually. <laughs> Funnily enough, <coughs> wailing and gnashing of teeth over Trump. You know, <clears throat> screaming at the sky. Yeah. Uh, it's all very symbolic and very real at the same time. You know. Yeah, you mentioned. I just wanted to comment on one thing you mentioned about how, um, like, it seems like the, the liberal mindset, it doesn't have any kind of awareness or, you know, respect for anything above themselves. And right. I think the way you put it is that even if, even if you ignore, like, the, the religious or spiritual dimension that applies to anything, like, even to um, just, like, a societal hierarchy. The, the country, uh, you know? Yeah, yeah, the country. I mean... Well, I just say that I think that I think they're both like reflections of the other, or one's a reflection of the other. That I think that on a deep level, their their lack of of the spiritual dimension is what um, is kind of um, grounding or um, influencing their lack of recognition of uh, an earthly authority, basically. So even if they don't get into get into the spiritual issues or have any kind of conscious opinion one way or the other of it, mm -hmm. it's still a reflection of that lack of authority for something spiritually higher. Because I think right. that, that, that the, the way that that, um, or one of the ways that that kind of spiritual intuition or, um, you know, there's, there's a presence there somehow that some people are somehow aware of. And the, the lack of that is, is what we actually see when, when, well, it manifests in a, mm -hmm. a rejection of any kind of like social <clears throat> order, um, right? Because it's because yeah. it's oppressive, right? Right. Yeah. It's it's against the individual, and this is interesting. Where Peterson comes in, and actually he seems to like agree with them in a certain sense, where the fo he advocates that the focus should be on the individual, mm -hmm. but in a very different way, in the sense that he does he tells them and tells you know by implication tells everybody that they should you know. Focus on individual development, i.e., but that means taking responsibility for uh, life struggles and the conditions of your life, which would include patriarchy and the nature, and the natural, um, you know, fact of a hierarchy that exists in all, in all human societies and in most animal societies. 
um, and just you know deal with it and learn use it to grow to grow something within yourself and become a better person. Mm-hmm. But their focus on the individual is right now as I am, what I feel right now as I am uh, is is the be all and end all. Right. It's the beginning and the end, and therefore anything I don't like, anything that uh, you know makes me feel bad or you know um, that hurts me in some way should be destroyed uh, because because it does because it oppresses me mm-hmm. you know life and reality and obviously you can extend it right ultimately that's what Peterson talks about ultimately these people can get very angry at life you know they don't yeah. get their way for long enough they don't feel that they have any if they're not getting any personal power uh, they will get very angry at life and of course they are angry at life in the sense of they're angry at at, at the structures in, in society as it is today and they want to bring it all down mm-hmm. um, but if they if it Goes on, goes for much longer, where, where and if it gets worse for them, where they're more and more mar- marginalised, uh, but there's still a big number of them. There's no reason to think that they wouldn't actually, you know, arm themselves. What I was waiting for actually is some kind of charismatic leader, some radical leftist charismatic leader that would galvanise them all in the same way Hitler did, you know, uh, with with the, the German people, you know, mm-hmm. where he basically, you know, fueled himself and fueled the crowd with the uh, with the uh, anger and mass psychology of the crowd, you know, mm-hmm. uh, he would whip them up and they would whip him up and there would be a feedback there, you know, and he got very popular. There's no one that I see right now on the left who, who would f- fulfill that, uh, that role. <clears throat> but <clears throat> when it does that, if, if it does, that kind of person uh, would, could very easily be the leader of a, of, of a revolution of radical lefties. Yeah. There's a historical precedent, Lenin. Mm-hmm. And then I suppose Stalin, we put him in the same bracket too, but yeah, and Hitler. Uh, but oh, but I'm thinking of 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 a coming from the left. From the left, yeah. I mean, the Bolsheviks said a lot of the right things. If, if you listen to the slogans and even the more fleshed out ide- uh, ideological goals or utopian ideas, I mean, there's remarkable similarities with today. Yeah. They were all about basically the '60s style free love mm-hmm. and that. The previous year was too constricting and uh, mm-hmm. it caused all kinds of harm to women, especially they would have women's <clears throat> rights. Um, yeah, well, that was the 60s free love thing at the time was seen by conservatives in the US as the communist plot to overthrow America. Right. Through, uh, I understand they were, now they why right. they were saying that. I couldn't understand it before. They, like, they were right, but it wasn't, it wasn't the communists doing it was the American people. It was a section yeah. of the American people themselves, you know. This yeah. thing, it's not about this label of communist versus capitalist, whatever is, 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 is wrong, you know. It's, um, it, it's within humanity itself. It doesn't matter what country it is. It doesn't yeah. come up. I mean, it'll take shape anywhere at any time because of an inherent division, it seems, in, within, within human beings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there, I think we can explain that at the time, it, it, could, it was useful to project it onto communism, dot, 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 stemming from Moscow, Russia's doing right. it, and today it's Moscow's doing it, but it's not communist anymore. But the key, the thing that connects the two is that it's external. Right. It's coming from without. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. they're accusing the, the 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 radical lefties are accusing. They don't maybe don't pitch it in this way because they have too many kind of communists leading leaning themselves, and Russia hasn't moved far enough away from communism and the Soviet Union to be clearly a kind of capitalist pro-Trump entity. But they're basically accusing. Um, Russia today of doing through a conservative medium, i.e. they're accusing Russia and Trump of trying to destroy America through division, mm-hmm. when in fact 
it's a Soviet ideology that they have embraced, so-called Soviet ideology that they have embraced, that is actually the primary vehicle through which chaos and division is being sown in the U.S. because they're the ones who want to change everything so radically all of a sudden. I mean, it's quite clear. There's no, there's no debate over it. There can't be any logical or rational or intellectual debate over who the problem is today. In any situation, you take a, sta- a relatively stable society that has its, or civilization that has its problems like all of them, and the ones that come in and advocate for a radical change in the structure of society overnight, if possible, are the problem. Mm-hmm. In any reasonable, rational, sane world, they are the problem. No matter what your current system and what the system they advocate is. Right. The point is they're talking about Rat- to, radical shock. Too, too radical a change yeah. too soon over uh, a, a, an inherently fragile, uh, you know, hum, hum, fragile human nature and fragile human society built on, on a fragile human nature. And, and, and they have no regard for that because they don't recognize anything about themselves. They don't understand themselves. They don't understand human nature because they're not interested in human nature. They're only interested in themselves and what they want. And collectively, like a Borg, <clears throat> that single subjective will to power can be can take the shape of a Borg mentality. But it's ultimately each of the members of the Borg are only in it for themselves. They joined it to be in it for themselves. Together, collectively, now that body is in it for itself. <clears throat> Just because there's a bunch of them and they have a gr- in group or something doesn't mean that they're for diversity or they're, they actually have a voice. It's each it's a multitude of individuals mm-hmm. who have all got together under the common banner of. Everything for me, what I want, my feels right now, change it or else. And that's very different from what the, the kind of more conservative or right-wing attitude is, which is, <clears throat> you know, more of a kind of stability and don't rock the boat. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and like we're saying, uh, an awareness of something higher than yourself. And even like even the idea of God, you know, the idea in Christian, among conservatives who are Christians, <clears throat> the idea that... Uh, if you if you do bad things in the society, if you, if you if you don't take you don't have humility, if you're not humble enough, and humility obviously comes from is, is an idea, is, a, is a sentiment or a feeling that would come from or that requires a, a, a something higher than yourself. And that if you don't uh, respect that higher authority or that, uh, and be humble, then it may destroy society and everybody suffers. So that that one idea is very very important because that seems to be what happens, you know. And it's, but it's in, this, in a lot of cases, it's not God that comes down and destroys human society. It's destroyed from within by people who don't respect that idea, even if it exists or not. God can, the idea of God punishing you for, for being bad can simply be an analogy for, for our, uh, uh, an analogy that's based or, or a myth that's based on the idea that human society is inherently fragile. Don't mess with it mm-hmm. or everybody suffers. It can be, it can be a, a fully human conception. Uh, of 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 what to do and what not to do and how to you know to how to how to preserve human society, but just simply project it onto a god because the forces that are unleashed seem like how did this happen? You can end up projecting it onto god, but it, ultimately, if you look at it, it comes from not so nutbag human beings mm-hmm. getting together and wrecking the place. Yeah, and I think one way you could put it, like in a naturalistic language, is that the universe is set up in such a way. That in any situation, the decision you make, um, if you make the wrong decision, can lead to destruction. It's right. like basically there's a right way and, and there's several and there's many wrong ways. And if you screw up, you're gonna it's gonna you know bite you in the ass. There's it's, blowback, yeah. Yeah, there's blowback, and that, that's essentially what the you know the wrath of God is. It's blowback, it's blowback for screwing up. 
Right, and it can be as a result of human agency. Yeah, exactly. But but like I said, the forces that are unleashed that they can be so they can have knock on effects, a domino effect. It can cause, you know, who knows? Like a new because of social chaos, nuclear power plants can 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 fail or something, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and 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 cause massive contamination. And then people afterwards they look back and they say that was such a serious amount of sh one t that shit hit the fan there. That can't have been just humans. Maybe it was some kind of power that was at work there. Well, the power of collective human madness is pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What does that mean for the Cold War era narrative the U.S. used? That it was looking at the world and Russia had gone commie and then China fell. Then other countries embraced it in some extent or another. And I think somebody mentioned in... Dean Rusk or something, the Secretary of State, said at this point there's 800 billion commies, 800 million, and it's growing and growing. We need to sort of save the planet from it. Mm. Is there validity to that? Or, uh, well, I think, were they right? I've been grappling with that question too for like probably the last 10 years. And I I think the answer is probably. Yes, but it's a qualified yes. And um, this ties into something that I I wanted to comment on a few minutes ago about this morality and the whole left-right thing, that um, what I'm finding more and more just in the last um, year is that the the right, like the conservatives, they're kind of like a a canary in a coal mine. It's not the best analogy, but when they Mm -hmm. raise the alarm about something, even if the reasons they give aren't, aren't very articulate, they're they're expressing um, an intuition that should be paid attention to, mm-hmm. um, and and this became really clear to me after reading the the book I talked about last week, uh, Stephen Baskerville's The New Politics of Sex, and he makes this point. He says, well, he talks about the like the it's usually the like the the kind of fundamentalist Christian and like the hard well not hard right but just you know very conservative um, elements of the population that will raise the alarm about something like. You know, something like the the sexual revolution in the 60s or, um, you know, gay marriage or abortion or um, a, lo- a lot of these kind of contentious issues. And uh, like I know for me personally, when I when I read like their explicit arguments for why they will disagree, I disagree with their arguments. But then after reading Baskerville's book, you'll see that there are actually like actually good reasons and for why the, the, there was an why there was an alarm raised, and if you look at the consequences, you see that the, that it was a you know we should have listened to the alarm even or, or we should have we should have figured out why the alarm was raised and what the actual issues were involved um, and what the consequences would have been because now we're paying for them. So I think there's a similar thing going on with the with what what happened with communism in the Cold War, and and again uh, like Lobachevsky pretty much makes this point in Ponderology is that the, I think that there's a, a, a natural reaction from um, what he would call a normal society, however flawed that society might be, and from the people within like uh, what he would call a pathocracy like the Soviet Union, there's a natural revulsion. Um, there's something like people understand on some basic primitive level that something's wrong and something's seriously wrong. Now, unfortunately, the, the solutions offered aren't good ones. And and Lobachevsky admitted that too. He said the the Cold War was you know stupid and the, and the propaganda back and forth was not the right way to go about it and especially the the, the military engagement. It's like that's that's not the right. It's not an effective way of solving the problem. There is a problem, 
And so the, the, especially the conservatives are, are probably right when they, when they raise the alarm. It's, it's a totally different matter when you actually get into implementing a policy. And you see this with politicians all the time. It's like the policies, the decisions they make to solve a problem often end up making the problem worse or just doing nothing at all. And it's a huge waste of money and resources that just, just, um, it just, it just means that they need to create more government agencies and, and more, you know, spend more money uh, to, to fix the problems that they created in the first place or, the, or the, the additional problems that they created. So I think that the Cold War response was like the, the motivation behind it for, for a lot of people, not for everyone, for a lot of people was, was genuine that, that, that you know, it, it was out of concern for something going seriously wrong in the world, mm-hmm. but that... Um, um, but that the solutions offered weren't the right ones. At the same time, of course, the, there are there are, there were the people um, you know behind the scenes, especially in the, in the intelligence agencies, who who didn't have that intuition. It was just pure exploitation on their part. Yeah, it was. It was <clears throat> they were seeking to dominate. You know, right. I think it's a balance. It's a balancing act. You know, the leftist um, dynamic or the kind of radical leftist kind of equality dynamic, let's say, uh, has its place as a pushback against too much kind of uh, conservatism, too much you know, stagnation and stuff. And in the specifics, let's say, leading up the, to the Bolshevik Revolution was, you know, too much um, too much kind of inequality and oppression of, of workers who over the past 100 years or so had, or even less, had all flocked to factories and stuff. You had pretty bad conditions in factories, people working 12-hour days and down the mines. It was pretty bad and stuff. And then that gave rise, you know, human the desire for humans to have a, a reasonably decent life, if you push it beyond that and large numbers of people are, are, are being exploited, badly exploited, then you get this other dynamic pushing back against it, which is a useful dynamic. But mm-hmm. And then and then you work it out, basically. You know, one modifies the other and you try to stay in the middle, more or less, and balance. But uh, the problem is when, for whatever reason, one of them goes, uh, goes, goes to the extreme, is allowed to go to the extreme. Mm-hmm. Um... So in terms of the Cold War, yeah, the U.S. was right to push back against it. But then they just saw it, Harrison was saying that they saw it as an opportunity to exploit. They weren't, they weren't interested in balance and, and, and seeing you know, kind of a meeting of minds and let's work out the, the happy medium between this, but rather let's use this opposite ideology for us to basically engage in a, in a global war of, of who can get the most. Mm-hmm. You know, it became selfish. Uh, right. Uh, a motivation for selfishness, basically. It went too far around. where in Indonesia they're saying, I don't know if somebody got the response, but but no one here is commie, communist. <laughs> and the answer was something like, "Yeah, they don't know it yet, but they are." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Exactly. So you can start to preemptively set fires. That was actually a guy called burns. Ian Pope or whatever who was running uh, bombing in the around the Sukarno, Suharto time, uh, commie insurgency supposedly in, in, in Indonesia. And he was basically for the CIA he was bombing, flying planes as a contractor, bombing uh, basically rebels, commie rebels supposedly. And he's on record as having said that, you know, we, I, I bombed the hell out of an awful lot of people, you know, killed an awful lot of people, killed an awful lot of communists, he said. I mean, he said, that, like, the vast majority of them had no, didn't even know what communists meant. Yeah. But I killed them anyway. Well, and then you know, with, so, the, with Sukarno and Suharto, the, um, <clears throat> during the early 60s, like when Kennedy was still alive, there were these communist militias, right? And there was a, right. And the CIA, like through Alan Dulles, Alan Dulles was supporting them. Um, through the CIA, and but like he he was supporting them um, only to to um, 
it was a complicated plan on his part, but he was basically supporting the communists in order to to get the military to unify and build up. So then he, once the military military was then set up, which is what he wanted in the first place, then the CIA stopped all support to these rebel groups. And then once they had their military, then they 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 the reason they wanted the military was to plan a military coup. But they needed the military to be. Um, um, unified first and, you know, a, a big fighting force that, that they could then use. So it was it, all just cynical, like, manipulation of the, you know, the, the pieces on the, the chessboard. There was no no real, like, even ideological conviction behind it. It was, it's just pure um, geopolitics. Well, you know, let's, you know, let's just support these guys because we want them to do this and let's not support these guys because they're doing this. It's like the, you know, it, in that sense, like, a lot of the Cold War was just a total, um you know, sham. Yeah, that guy's name was Alan Alan Lawrence Pope, mm. <clears throat> and he said, uh, "I enjoyed killing communists." They said Indonesia was a failure. He reflected bitterly, but we knocked the shit out of them. We killed thousands of communists, even though half of them probably didn't even know what communism meant. <laughs> <clears throat> so yeah, uh, the only thing I wanted to say was um, part of the problem as well is that. Um, For people of color, black people, I'm going to call them black people, black people in America who talk about, you know, there's this movie Black Panther and stuff and black rights and uh, black culture and African culture and bring it all that kind of stuff. It's a real problem for them because they're Americans, you know. They're not a discrete group um, within their own country that was kind of invaded. They have all of the arguments of... Of a, of, of a people or a group or a, a specific ethnic or racial group that has been conquered, invaded, and had their land taken from them uh, or, or in some way being oppressed by the colonizing power. They have all of the rhetoric of those people, of that kind of person in history, of other kind, those kind of groups in history, but they're not in the geographic position to really do anything about it. You know, so it's weird, you know. Um, it's it's like, uh, so I don't know what they're, I don't know what they're going to do, you know, because they're Americans, but they're not Americans. And it's it's not their country, but it is their country. Uh, their country's Africa, but they want to bring Africa. The, they want to create like a little, you know, new Africa, you know. In, in the Southwest. New, new Africana or something somewhere in the, I don't know, you could have. Uh, Southeast. Or northeast, maybe that's where most of them are. They help up around New York or something. <laughs> well, whoever you know, but carve car out a bit of the U.S. and claim it's Africa, but it's not. You know, I mean, what happens in those situations is that those people actually take up. You don't just get to have whatever you want. You have to fight for it in this world. You know, that's that's the kind of the way of the world. And people in that position who who have that kind of rhetoric of the of let's say Black Lives Matter people, or people of color, whatever Latinos as well, Mexicans maybe. Um, what what they do in, in the proper situations, they have so they have a they, they wage some kind of a war. You know that's you have to fight for it, and then if you wage the war, then you get something for it. You, you, your enemy, if you and if you and if you fight properly and 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 uh, well enough and long enough, you'll get some of your grievances addressed, uh, and and some change will happen. That's usually what happens. There's a lot of cases where that has happened. You know. Well, like the colonizer will go away, you know. You're describing a revolution. <clears throat> no, not a revolution. Well, no, not a revolution for the whole country, you know. More like, it's more in the, like I said, in the, in the situation where what everything they talk about 
is the same things that people, for example, in the Mau Mau in Kenya, for example, when the British colonized Kenya, the local indigenous people on their land with their culture had been intruded upon, invaded and colonized and treated badly by a foreign power. And you, in that situation, you can take up arms because it's your local population, it's your, lo- it's your country, and you can fight the invader to a standstill, let's say. And then you make, you know, some, come to some agreement. If you do it long enough, well enough, then you get, get what you're demanding. But how, Amer- I mean, and the problem is how black Americans are going to do that in America is, is, is beyond me. I don't know how they're, they're, you know, they don't have the right circumstances to actually to, to put their money where their mouth is or do, do what will be necessary for them to do to, to get what they want, you know. Uh, they think they're, they, they want to get it through demanding that they're entitled to it and, and blaming the other. It's like, it's like a, it's like a girly guerrilla war, you know. It's not, it's, it's like, it's not even a proper, I don't know, it's ridiculous, you know. Uh, and, and the only thing it can lead to is social chaos, you know, uh, rather than actually, like I said earlier on, you know, eventually people realize that if the, if the differences are so extreme, you just dispense with, with talking about it and you just get, put up the dukes, you know, fisticuffs and, and, you know, after we beat the crap out of each other for a while, then we'll be more likely to be more reasonable, you know, but that's, that's not going to happen. They want to impose it by stealth or by some whining or screaming or, you know, calling everybody names or, uh, it's not gonna, it's not gonna help. You know, it's not gonna get you what you want. You know, eventually someone will say, "Listen, stop the screaming and let's have a fight." That's what human beings do. Usually, the men, unfortunately. <sighs> anyway, I think we got off track there, did we? <laughs> a little bit. How's Florida doing? <laughs> that was good. Uh, I think we said it. Anyone? We said everyone needs to say about Florida, and then some. Yeah. And then some. Exactly. All right then. How's how's about we end it there? Sounds, Sounds like an idea. Okay. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. We'll be back next week with another one. Till then, have a good evening. See you next week. Bye bye. Bye. Take care.